Magic was the first competitive endeavor. I was doing it all the time. Like it was the main thing I, I did with my time, uh, apart from school and uh, and other stuff you have to go through uh, as a kid. Sometimes I just want to feel like the protagonist in the story, like uh, the hero. Yeah. Yeah, the hero. Like th there's something uh, when when you go to a tournament and uh, you know at the end there's going to be one person standing. And some days you just want this person to be you, like it, it matters and you really want it. It's not this uh, thing that is out of reach and completely uh, uh, out of my control. Like I know it can happen. Uh, there are days where I need it to happen. I've had these moments of discouragement a couple of times in my career. Every time it happens, it's easier because you know it doesn't define you. You know you can find success anyway, and uh, some days are good and some days are bad, and you, you don't need to let the present day define you. There will be other tournaments. There, there have been other tournaments that define yeah. you just as much. Welcome to this week's Humans of Magic with Jean-Emmanuel Duprat. Jean-Emmanuel is a French magic pro and has been a mainstay on the pro circuit for close to a decade. This episode is going to be all about the mindset, how Jean-Emmanuel does it, how he approaches magic, and also some of the changes that he has seen in himself and around the game. If you want to level up your game and hear about how someone at the highest level of play has done it, well, then this is the episode for you. This is Jean-Emmanuel Depra. We are here with Jean-Emmanuel. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. A little bit earlier than I'm used to, but uh, I'm pumped. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here. I, are, I guess we were talking about this before the recording, but you're currently kind of in the U.S. time zone, or I guess you're always kind of a evening person, but also you just uh, are currently in the U.S. time zone. Is that right? Or yeah, it's a good way to put it. Uh, I'm naturally uh, an evening person. I, I happen to also live uh, in U.S. time zones for tournament reasons so um, it uh, all works out pretty well yeah 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 uh, I, I if i remember you stream once a week right on on mondays is, is that right yeah i stream every monday and sometimes other days of the week depending on my moods but uh, always on monday okay okay so how, when does your monday stream start is it it must be later than this or earlier than this depending on how you look at it right yeah it starts at 8 p.m uh uh european time so in uh yeah in a in a bunch of hours <laughs> okay 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 that okay so i appreciate you taking the sacrifice because uh, uh i'm in china so it's like it's just a weird uh situation and uh if it was any later i guess i would have to be during my dinner and then i'm really happy to like do this recording and then i can eat my dinner afterwards not that i'm rushing you or anything um uh, i understand thank you for yeah. uh, your sacrifice as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 actually the first thing i wanted to ask you is about walking because i understand from talking to some of your friends and also from some of your tweets that you are quite a fan of just walking right so can you tell me a bit about that and how that all started for you yeah i i walk a lot indeed um mostly as a way to to think i find that it helps you uh, it helps your mind uh, process things even if you're not necessarily aware of it or trying to do it in a conscious way but uh yeah when i when i walk usually my ideas tend to uh set in place and uh, it gets easier to to process whatever I need to process. 
So I, I walk a lot. Uh, I have um, usual paths that I take uh, around where I live. So I just uh, go for a couple hours, sometimes, uh, sometimes less. And, uh, and then when I'm traveling, I also like to do all the... Um, like oh, most of the trips, like everything I can do uh, on foot, I, I do on foot, uh, whatever the, the country. So sometimes I, I get lost. I don't have a very good sense of uh, orientation, but uh, but uh, usually it's fine. So it's a, it's a couple hours a day on average. So you must be walking like, was it like 20 or 30,000 steps uh, a day or something? Uh, I, I wouldn't say a couple hours a day. There, there are days where I... Uh, almost don't walk because I, I'm uh, immersed in the computer stuff, uh, arena <laughs> and so on. Magic but, computer uh, stuff, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but when uh, when I can, I I like to to do a couple hours. Yeah. So, what are some common things you think about when you're walking? Because you said it's to work out some stuff. Is it is it like mostly magic, or is it a lot of different things? Uh, it's a lot of different things. Um, if I'm playing magic. Uh, like if I'm really into magic, uh, it's going to be mostly about magic. Yeah. Uh, thinking about decks, uh, matchups, how they are supposed to play out. So playing out like turns in my head and whatever. And, um, sometimes it's about uh, personal stuff or about, um, stuff that I'm writing at the moment. Uh, it, it all depends on what I want to do. And, uh, usually it helps me do it when I come back from, uh, from my work. What kind of stuff are you writing? Oh, uh, currently I'm trying to write a fantasy novel, but uh, it's a long and hard process, so I'm not quite <laughs> sure I'm, I'm going to finish it. So, yeah, that, that's quite an undertaking to write a novel. So uh, what's your process for that? Are you, like, trying to... Just give me an idea. Like, like I, I guess it's the story is one thing, but, like, how do you structure your, yourself so that you actually write a novel? That's the hard part. I don't have a very good structure yet uh, because uh, right now I'm kind of in the middle of magic and writing and trying to balance both. But I've never been I've never been very good at balancing stuff in my life. Like usually I I take one one thing and I do it. Uh, I give it all my energy. So um, so yeah, with uh, with worlds last week and uh, the upcoming tournaments. Right now I'm in the middle and I'm I'm hoping. When things settle a little, I'll have more time and uh, I can write on a daily basis because I, I think you have to, like for me personally, I, I would have to do it on a daily basis to be really effective uh, about it. Yeah. So I guess your daily focus or every day you're focused on magic right now because you're preparing for some events coming up. It's the, is it the LEC? Is that the, is yeah. that one of the events? I'm sorry exactly, if I got yeah. it wrong. The European, uh, Legacy European Championship. So uh, yeah, LEC. Uh, it's okay. in Sofia uh, next week. So this is in Bulgaria. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so I took a quick look at the website. It looks like a whole bunch of pioneer events. And can you give me just an idea? Cause I've never played in these series of tournaments before. I've heard of the MKMs in the past, but I've not heard of this one. So maybe, can you just maybe fill me in on what this series is like and what's, what's the stakes and all that? Sure. So for me, the stakes are not that high because I'm already qualified to the next step, uh, which is the Pro Tour, the global Pro Tour. Um, but the championships are regionalized and uh, each of them feeds the, the Pro Tour that will happen in a couple months. And um, I have never played uh, this exact 
tournament myself because it's the new structure. So I don't really know how it will be like, but I assume something like the, the old Pro Tours where uh, you have a bunch of people who qualified uh, via local tournaments or online and uh, they are all battling for qualifications to the Pro Tour and the World Championship uh, because the first two uh, in the tournaments are going to be qualified for Worlds directly. Okay, so uh, how is the preparation going? Because it's what, it's in a, just a week or something like that? Yeah, it's in a, about 10 days now. And um, right now I'm, I'm in Paris, but I'm going to be moving to Sofia on Friday uh, in, uh, in three days. And then uh, I, I'll meet my, meet my friends uh, there and we'll stay for uh, a week uh, of intense testing like we used to do for... Okay, for... so this is like a testing house. Okay. Yeah, it's a testing house, like for the old PTs. And it's the first time since COVID that we actually uh, managed to organize something like this. So I'm really, really excited. That, that sounds super exciting because, uh, uh, I mean, the world has just been in COVID situation for a while. So it's nice to have the uh, in-person tournaments again, right? Yeah, or the, the first like the first pa uh, paper tournaments uh, came back uh, this summer. So I, I went to a couple of places, but uh, like um, as far as I'm concerned, this is the real return to paper. It's when you start testing with friends again, uh, uh, like we used to do for the PTs. Like it was always a, a really, um, yeah, a really thrilling moment, uh, even more than the tournament itself, uh, the week of preparation. It's uh, very intense. Yeah. C can you give me an idea? Like what's the size of your, your team? Like how many of you will be testing and all that stuff? Yeah. So there are eight of us, um, which is the usual amount because it's the amount it takes to draft, but this time there's no draft. So <laughs> we, we, we just yeah. stuck to what we, what we're used to. And, um, the eight people are mostly friends of mine that I already know. So the, so some French players who were in the rivals league, uh, previously, um, uh, some friends of mine, like very close friends of mine who, who qualified, uh, uh, some of them are also hosting a, a regular podcast. So, um, so yeah, and, um, we will be in a, in a house, uh, that we rented on Airbnb for a full week and, um, mostly playing magic and talking about magic uh, all day, uh, trying to have a, a routine, like a, a productive routine. Uh, usually like when there's draft, we start uh, with a draft in the morning. So we get up uh, and uh, eat something and then uh, go into draft directly because the mind is still fresh. And uh, you, like you, we found, we found out it's better that way. And, uh, and then constructed, but this time it's only constructed. It's only pioneer. So I'm not sure how we are going to structure this. Uh, <laughs> so how do you justify testing limited or playing limited in a, in an event where it's, it's constructed? Like, I'm oh, wondering we're, we're how that going, works. We're not going to, but, uh, like I, I would love to, but we're not going to draft. Uh, it's just the usual thing that we're doing and uh, we're going to have to, to get away from that and mostly play constructed this time, like only play constructed this time. But, um, but yeah, I guess, I, I guess we're going to do something where in the morning, maybe, maybe it's just all very speculative. We haven't talked about this yet, but, but, uh, maybe in the morning test new decks and, uh, interesting ideas and in the afternoon, uh, 
play the established decks against each other, something like that. Okay. So this might be a good time for me to ask, because uh, I talked to one of your friends, uh, Remy, and uh, mm -hmm. he said that you've always had a strong desire to improve and iterate and refine testing methodologies when it comes to, to magic. He, he mentioned that you have been a, in his words, relentless theoretician and also very good at applying the theory. So um, do you have something new planned for this time? Like, is it going to be like super methodical or how, how does that work? Oh, um, it's very flattery from him because he, he's actually the one who structured everything. Like uh, if, if oh, we are asking okay. uh, like who, who gave us the, the tools, like the theoretical tools to, um, to make a successful uh, uh, testing yeah, testing house, testing week. Uh, he would be the one. Uh, we call him the the great architect. Like, uh, I don't know if you know, like if you know the card. The, the, there's a yeah. blue card that uh, that's called grand or great architect. I don't remember. And uh, mm -hmm. like, it's a blue Vedalkan wizard who's trying to like manipulate everything. And uh, yeah, in my mind, he's uh, he's the great architect. And um, we have like. There's a lot of things we improved over the years because we are doing, we have been doing this for four or five years, maybe now, at least, uh, since I've been part of it because they, they started before me. Um, but, uh, m mostly it's about, uh, hygiene, like, uh, life hygiene, uh, getting up early enough, uh, doing something to like to work yourself up, uh, some, yeah, some sports in the morning. So, uh, going for a run or we, we experimented with, um, team sports as well. So we played some wow. volleyball, uh, at, okay. uh, a couple of pro tours. And, uh, I, I think the, like the most likely thing is just running, uh, because it like everyone can run everyone. There's no specific skills you need to, so, some people run longer than others, but, uh, usually we, like we we run as as, uh, as long as the um, the most tired person wants, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we adjust to that, and yep. uh, and then we we get to testing. Then we eat in the like we eat lunch, and after lunch there's a, like this meditation time that uh, Remy implemented. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be doing this because it, this is all new. We haven't done this for a couple of years now, but uh, I. I I really like this moment where we just uh, sit in a circle and uh, listen to some, either some music or, or a dedicated like meditation session that someone uh, is narrating, and uh, like for maybe a quarter of an hour, and then we are all like relaxed and uh, as if we were as if we had just uh, woken and uh, we can get back to testing. So this is really interesting for me because I, I know about, you know, having kind of a routine, you know, when you, before you start working, cause people always say there's always this, this kind of like literature, like, okay, when you wake up, you should like do this and this and this and like exercise and, you know, and the next thing you know, you spent like, you know, three hours just to get ready for the day. So how long does it take to go through everything before you actually start playing magic? Cause you mentioned that you might start in the morning with a, with a draft or do you like mix magic with these things or how does it work? Yeah. When we draft, we, we still do a little sport before that. Uh, so oh, we wow. wake up at something like, uh, eight in the morning and we start playing at uh, maybe nine thirty or, or 10. Um, 
So there's, yeah, there's a time where everyone is uh, getting their body and mind ready to, to prepare. But I, I should say I'm not a big believer in this whole, in this whole uh, yes life idea that you, yeah. that you want to be up early for your day to, to, to work <laughs> at all. Uh, like, I, I'm not really this kind of person. So everything I'm telling mm -hmm. you is, is uh, learned from experience, like the, mm -hmm. the best ways for, for me to get prepared and uh, I know it might not apply to everyone and sometimes people just don't want to run like they don't enjoy that so we mm -hmm. let them uh get ready at their pace and uh doing their stuff like it's not um uh, a rigorous structure that we try to apply to everyone uh it's um just a, a group thing when it, it's better if everyone is on the same page but uh it's also fine if people want to diverge from it yeah like you, you don't want to you don't want to dictate like okay you have to do it right it's kind of yeah. like you do it if you enjoy it or you enjoy doing it together, but don't don't force somebody if they really hate running or they have a, a knee injury, like don't <laughs> don't don't, yeah, don't be course. running. But yeah, but but you enjoy running, right? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I prefer walking, but uh, running for short per short periods of time is fine. I'm not really a, an athlete. Uh, I can uh, <laughs> I can run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also heard from one of your uh, testing friends that you actually enjoy the meditation part, right? Uh, as in, I think he said, uh, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, I can just say as Louis Samuel, right? He was very, yeah. he seemed a little bit dismissive of the meditation, but he said that you were very like into it. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah it works for me. Uh, it makes me feel like uh, maybe maybe like I've just woken, but uh, something like that. Uh, like it's a new new part of the day. I'm ready for it. Uh, it's a good way to set aside every like every little frustration you might have from uh, how the morning uh, yeah. um, happens. Uh, because sometimes when you play magic, you're very like immersed into it and uh, everything that happens uh, affects your mood, uh, even if uh, it shouldn't. And so after a testing session, you might be like frustrated or angry that you either the, the matchup didn't go your way or you think it should have be it, sh it should have gone a certain way and it didn't. So you're trying to rationalize what happened and uh, thinking about how, how am I going to justify this to to others like uh, that it should have gone differently and maybe we should retry it uh, another way. And uh, so all these thoughts are uh, going through your mind and some of them are useful, but some of them are, are just like noise and, uh, and feelings and some like things you want to, to tone down at least. And, uh, meditation helps with that. So what, what do you tell yourself when you're, when you're doing that to help with magic? Like, do you just say like, uh, or do you, do you like replay it or do you like try to say like, don't let it affect me or how, how does your system work? Oh, you're trying to not, you're trying not to think actually, like it's the, the whole, Oh, you mean just not to think at all? Yeah. Like the whole point, like during this uh, little time, like 10 minutes, uh, 15 minutes is to just, uh, uh, let your mind, um, uh, rest, like be I still guess. or something or just, yeah. Rest. So you're just, you're just still, you, you focus on your, on your breathing. Uh, that's the, like that, that's the way, uh, it's supposed to go. So maybe some people are thinking about stuff and I, I, I can't know how everyone is doing it, but uh, for me, I'm sticking to, to what I learned and it's just uh, focus on your breathing. Um, mm -hmm. and your mind will go in a very relaxed state. Um, um, you, if you have a, like, you always have like parasitic thoughts during this process and, uh, 
you don't want to be frustrated about it because uh, it would defy the purpose. So what you do is just uh, like you, you try to imagine that this thought you have is uh, slowly drifting away and uh, you're not pushing it away, but uh, it's drifting away by itself. And, um, and so it's not perfect. Like uh, I'm not some kind of Zen master or anything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, uh, it helps me a little. When did you start this practice? Oh, um, well, I actually started for the for training. Uh, I, I didn't do it before that. So I guess uh, back in 20, 2017, 2018, something like that. Okay. H have you felt this kind of uh, almost like before and after? Like you feel like it's it's much better doing doing it, the results uh, over the last few years or? Not really. Like it's not life changing. It's just a, a little boost, uh, I would say. Uh, yeah. like a, a little tool I use, it has not really uh, redefined my way to like to work or, or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it's something useful to apply. Uh, and th there are tools you can use to, to help you do it. Uh, we started with, a, like an application, an, an app on the phone, uh, uh, that's called uh, little bamboo, I guess, uh, in, Fr in French. Okay. And, um, it's just, uh, like a voice, like help telling you to f focus on your breathing, breathe in, breathe out, uh, and, um, giving you little advice while, while you are in it. And I find that with time you want to get away from this stuff because it's actually distracting, uh, <laughs> yeah. like the voice telling you what to do uh, all the time. Right. Like sometimes right. there are poses that, um, the voice allows, uh, yeah, the voice allows you to, to like be still for a while. And I found that I need a little more time than what the voice <laughs> gives you, uh, mm -hmm. most of the time. So, so yeah, now I like to just go without it, uh, be with myself, but, uh, it's a good starting point if you don't really know how to do it. You're, you're right. Like the, the guided meditation is just to get started. Cause I, I have some experience, not with a little bamboo, cause that sounds like it's a French app, but yeah. I've done like the the five minute YouTube video, you know, like it's guided meditation, uh, headspace. I think it was, uh, the app, like you can close your eyes and you can use your headphones. Um, and I actually find, I mean, I'm not very big on meditation, but I'm very, uh, I very much love running. And I like the fact that when I'm running, sometimes I don't actually want something in my a voice, right? Sometimes I don't even, I don't even want music. I just want to hear my own breathing and just have this kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like a rhythm, right? I think the mm -hmm. rhythm of just like listening to your own body or your own thoughts, as opposed to some external stimuli, I think that's actually quite important. Like at a certain level of proficiency, like you don't want to, you no longer want to like lean on a lot of like, it's almost like, you know, if you go to the gym, you don't need a trainer to actually like constantly telling you like, okay, do this, do this, do this. Right. If you know it, it's, it's part of your, uh, your routine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And also it ties into like, we, we talked about walking earlier and yeah. most people, when they walk, have something in their ears, uh, like either music or podcasts, a lot of people, but then you can't to, think because somebody's like yeah. talking to you. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mostly walk alone with my thoughts. And sometimes I put music when I, like when I, I want to, when I feel the, the, the need, maybe not the need, but, uh, when I'm in the mood, but, uh, but yeah, it's not my usual way to, to walk or, or do stuff. Yeah.
by the way, uh, we've been talking a little bit about it, but like, are you? This is this is the part I enjoy because like when we watch you play, uh, you know, a match of Magic, like we have no idea what's going on in your head. Like, so are you a? Are you quite an emotional player? Like when you when something happens in the match, are you like dwelling on it? Because like by the way you mentioned the meditation and stuff, sounds like you have quite a good control of like you know let the past be the past but I'm, I'm curious like how your mind works when you play magic or even between rounds of magic yeah i have a good level of control uh because i played so much and worked on it so much but uh I, i'm quite an i'm still quite an emotional player and i when i when i'm playing a match of magic i'm i i'm trying to mostly focus on the match and what happens and what i can do but uh when something good happens, uh, like a good top deck on, on my opponent's part or anything like that, I will uh, feel it, and uh, it's something that I that I need to 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 put aside uh, for until the match is over. But uh, it all it all piles up. It's not like I'm completely impervious to to what's happening uh, as much as I would like to. So if I appear completely in control and uh, and distant uh, or whatever it's uh because i like i'm doing a, a, i'm making an effort uh, in, in that uh, in that direction but um, it's something i have to to work on yeah so what's your philosophy on uh i guess having emotions in magic do you think it helps you or is it better to be uh, more robotic like i know people different people have different philosophies on that I think like your emotions are natural, so you don't want to prevent yourself from feeling them. Uh, but in a match, it's better if you keep them for later. Uh, in a way, like you just store them in a in a little box, and then uh, once the match is over, you can uh, you can experience them fully, and also try to tone them down a little because you you don't want your opponent to feel what you're feeling. Like usually. It's going to be negative, yeah, negative stuff, or, or okay, even yeah. very, even very positive stuff. Uh, like when you're overjoyed with how a game went, usually your opponent is feeling the other way, so you don't want to. Run oh, it you mean so? It. It's like uh, it's like manners or uh, the just the conduct. Yeah, like okay. you don't want to to be too emotional, like openly emotional uh, uh, after a match because it's going to like usually it's going to clash with what your opponent is feeling one way or the other, mm -hmm. so. So yeah, I like I, I feel like uh, tilting, uh, like just getting frustrated by stuff, is a natural part of uh, of the game. If you if you actually care about the game, uh, you're going to to feel negative things about it, and, and that's okay. But you just don't want to make your opponent feel it because uh, they're not responsible for for anything that happens. Uh, that. And, uh, aside like uh, very specific circumstances where they might have <laughs> yeah. uh, offended you or whatever but uh, most <laughs> of the time it's just uh, inside the game and uh, sure. like there, there's variance in the game and you have to accept it and that, that's part of it uh, so it's natural that you f would feel frustrated about it uh, because you don't have a, an absolute level of control and even sometimes uh, you make mistakes that frustrate you I I'm always a little more like I'm always more frustrated by mistakes I made uh, than by the the variance of the game, what I'm drawing, etc. I've learned that, uh, like, I, I should focus on things that are under my control. But uh, a lot of things are under my control, and still I I don't do them properly. So that's uh, what's going to frustrate me the most. 
Yeah, I think it's for. I mean, you're a very world class player, but I think for all players of all skill levels, that's definitely a good thing to keep in mind. Is just try to control what you can control, right? It's. Uh, I, I guess it's easier said than done. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I, I find myself tilting all the time, or I'm not all the time, but it's like you tilt and then you catch yourself. It's like, okay, I'm tilting. Uh, so let's uh, not let this spill out into something worse or into the next uh, actions or something like that, you know. But it's, so. it's yeah, but it's not even always easy to catch yourself. Like even when you're aware of the process and that that is going to happen, it's still something you like. I I don't <laughs> I never got tilt proof, uh, so to speak. It, like it's like it's, sometimes you get emotionally punched, and it's like. Um, yeah, I know I shouldn't be reacting, but I got emotionally punched. So it's like I still feel the pain or the emotion of that. So it's like yeah. you can't just completely suppress it, right? Yeah. So. And like the ways to get away from it are, is usually like just to have good playing habits. Uh, like when you when you lose a couple of games in a row, you if you can, if you're not in the middle of a tournament, ideally you stop and you do something else for a while and then you come back to it. Um, because like whether you want it or not, uh, it's going to affect your play and uh, make you play worse and worse and lose more and more. Like it's something that snowballs also. Um, so hey, that, that's the ideal time to go for a walk when you when you lost a couple of games yeah. in a row. You go for a walk and come back. And you you yeah. can start again. And I, I'm sorry if this is kind of a sensitive uh topic but I, i'm curious like what you were thinking and like did you go for a walk after your um the recent event the the world's uh day two yeah. because um you were public i hope it's okay to talk about because you were public yeah, sure. about um the the results and things like that i'm curious like i guess it's been a while since that event but like looking back like what what was going through your mind like um you know during day two or maybe after that so it's actually like the, the worst feeling uh in magic is when you win a lot and then lose a lot uh, immediately after that like uh -huh. it's the um, the downswing is is really it's, hard it's the worst sequence right yeah yeah it's the worst sequence like if you're going to go 6 8 uh, like i just did at worlds so 6 wins 8 losses you ideally want to start with the 8 losses and then win 6 uh, in a row because it's going to make you feel great about uh, saving your tournament so even if this, even even if it's the same results, you're not going to feel the same way after it. And uh, this time I went six and one, and then lost seven in a row. And um, yeah, that's never that's never easy because uh, the more you win, the more your expectations pile up, and uh, you start uh, like you want to prevent yourself from it, but you you start dreaming about what's going to happen next uh, and the top four and uh, and whatever. So I, I'm used to it now. Like I, I I know that it can happen. I've had. I've had it happen to me a couple of times already, like this exact same sequence. Uh, so it makes it a little easier. And uh, after the losses, I, yeah, I, I did go for a walk and uh, it took uh, a couple hours because before I was all like uh, at peace with what happens. Mm -hmm. But um, in, the, in the heat of the moment, obviously it made me play worse and worse as the day went on and uh like the, the the seven losses were not all um a fatality like I, I i could have prevented some and it uh it was harder and harder the more i, I lost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's very hard to uh it, it, it can uh i don't know what's the term like it can it can keep sliding or or it can affect you into the next uh into the next mm -hmm. match right yeah yeah 
Yeah, because okay. you, it, it's just all like to to go to go back to the meditation stuff. It's all feelings that uh, pile up inside your mind, and uh, you you don't have the time to properly like treat them, and so they they keep uh, piling up and up. And uh, each game, you you have this uh, thirst for vindication almost. Like mm -hmm. you feel like you've been uh, wronged by variance, or even if you know it's not a rational feeling, and um, and so each new game, uh, you you don't really start it with a fresh mind, uh, as you should, but you you're trying to like get re your revenge for what happened earlier, and uh, this this makes you um, make uh, dubious plays. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sorry if I brought it up. I may maybe it's like you're not even thinking about that anymore, right? You're just thinking about the next event, I, I would have to assume. Yeah, yeah, it's behind me, but uh, I'm fine talking about it. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not my first rodeo, so okay. I, can, uh, I can go back on this stuff. Let, let's go back and talk about uh, something much, much earlier. Like, can, I, I know this is kind of a, a, a very sudden change, but can you tell me about your, your magic origin story? I mean, just how you even uh, discovered Magic in the first place. Sure. So um, the first time I played Magic was with um, a cousin um, in, on, on holidays. So I was uh, 11 years old at the time, or maybe 10, 10 and a half. And uh, my cousin had brought cards uh, that he was uh, playing with for, like, for a little while. And uh, he taught me the game... Uh, on holidays, so I was playing like uh, a mono green centaur, a very very bad tribal deck. It was uh, at the time of uh, onslaught, I guess. A little after oh, onslaught. Oh, this was a while ago. Okay. Yeah, a while ago. Yeah. So I was 11 years old. Now I'm 28. So it's been 17 years uh, already. Yeah. For me, and um, and so it started that way. And then when I uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Like e even if we didn't really understand everything uh, about the game, like he was still uh, a pretty good player already, so he could teach me uh, the actual rules. I never like I never played with uh, uh, house rules like, like some at that okay. age. You had and, the formal uh, uh, education in the the real rules of of Magic. Yeah, or something close to it at least. And uh, okay. and then when I got back to to Paris where I live. Uh, I looked for uh, like game stores and uh, found one that uh, that was like not not too far, and I started going to that store uh, for like maybe once a week or uh, or like first once a week and then twice a week, uh, and and then uh, as often as I could, mm -hmm. and um, played with the people there. And I was the the youngest guy at the store, obviously, so mm -hmm. uh, like there was this. Uh, this need to prove myself uh, mm -hmm. to these people who had been who had been playing longer and and who are better than me at first, and so I started becoming better and better and um, and at first I was not really like, I was in this mindset to to get better to improve, but uh, I wasn't necessarily in the right mindset for it. Uh, like I wasn't a, comp a competitive player in the sense that uh, I learned from my losses uh, or whatever. At first, it was pretty hard for me. Um, but, uh, after a couple of years where, well, yeah, I started, uh, calling myself a competitive player and, uh, and going to bigger and bigger events. So did you play games before magic or like competitively or just for fun? 
Uh, for fun, yes. Like we have always been, um, we ha we have always loved always loved gaming in our family. Uh, mm -hmm. Like we we would uh, gather and uh, and play cards like traditional card games. Uh, uh, tarot, for example, uh, has been uh, like a family tradition. My my uncle uh, was playing tarot in his village every week and uh, playing tournaments and stuff. But um, it had never been competitive uh, for us, like for me, before Magic. Uh, my mother and sisters play in a more relaxed way. It's just, uh, like it's just an opportunity uh, uh, for being together and sharing something. Uh, it's not uh, actually about winning for them, at least not as much as, uh, as for me. Um, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I just assumed that you, you, you previously played chess competitively or like there's some there's some like common traits of high level magic players like they always seem to to do other things and then they find magic and they just they just end up focusing on magic i'm, I'm curious if yeah. I, maybe that doesn't sound like it's the case for you no it not really are, are you saying this because there's a chessboard in the background or <laughs> i mean i see the chessboard but also just yeah. like i i feel like a lot of magic players have told me maybe it's just my bias because i do the interviews and it's like 80% of them, like 60, 80% of them are just like, yeah, I used to play chess, you know, as a, as a kid and, you know, things like that. No, I started, like, I started watching chess, uh, uh a lot, uh, later, uh, it was actually like a, a TV show, the Queen's Gambit that, uh, got me <laughs> okay. into it. It's fairly recent. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly yeah. recent. Uh, but, uh, mm -hmm. but no, for me, magic was the first competitive endeavor and, uh, mm -hmm. And I guess that's part of how I became so good at it because I, I was doing it all the time. Like it was the main thing I, I did with my time, uh, apart from school and uh, and other stuff you have to go through uh, as a kid. Uh, whenever I could escape, like maybe, maybe my big passion before magic was reading. Like I, I read a lot and slowly and slowly it became replaced by magic to the point yeah. that I don't read much uh, these days. But uh, um, have you always been reading like a lot of fantasy? Is that why you wanted to write a, a fantasy novel? Yeah, when I was younger, I mostly read fantasy and uh, and um, fairy tales and uh, like fairy tales from all over the world. Uh, th there was this uh, section in my local library where they were keeping all fairy tales from uh, Europe and Eastern Europe and also Asia, like from every part of the world. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I used to try to read them all. Um, but yeah, slowly I, I've been playing more and more Magic, uh, and right now I'm I'm kind of uh, going the other way, like playing less and less Magic as time goes on, because I feel like I have the basics and I don't need to test as much uh, to get to a certain point of uh, understanding a format. Or okay. I like I, I do what's necessary, and usually it doesn't take me many games to understand the matchup. And then I try to give time to other things. But for a right. while, magic was uh, pretty much my life. Uh. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it kind of has to be, right? As you said, like you have to be focused or maybe just your personality, you focus on on something, right? And really go all in on it. I think it's, about, yeah, I think it's just how I, how, how my brain works. I need to have one big interest and go all in on it. And uh, I can become, I can become great at that thing. Uh, for the time that it lasts uh but it's hard for me to balance with other things at the same time is, is there something right now that's making you want to perhaps focus less on magic like are you more focused on is it 
the writing or is it is it like or is it just the magic competitive scene like i know this is a I, i'm yeah. not expecting like you know a 15 second answer but i i'm just curious it's actually both like i'm i, I both want to write and it's the thing that uh drives me the most right now it's uh trying to like build this world of mine uh which is a very long and complicated process so uh, there's a lot to think about and at the same time it's also that uh yeah the, the competitive magic scene has declined in my opinion or at least it's uh it's declining right now and we are we don't really know what's going to happen next because the, the system has changed so much over the years that there's always been a lot of uncertainty about the future, but um, when they started the leagues a couple of years back, uh, I felt like maybe the system was going to become uh, like a solid thing you can rely on. And mm -hmm. it was for, for a couple of years, but now it's over. And now I don't, uh, uh, now I don't um, uh, earn my, uh, my living just playing magic. Uh, it's, right. uh, it's not enough anymore. So, um, like, I, I need to find something else. Uh, yeah. I'm going to need to find something else. Maybe not right now because uh, I, like, I've won enough in these years that uh, I'm not in a in a hurry to find something else. Sure. But uh, I'm going to need to eventually. And so, since right now I I want to write and it's something that drives me, I just want to give it as much time as possible uh in case it might become uh another source of revenue but i don't have many illusions about it like i know it's going to mm -hmm. be very hard um but there's this thing that um this idea that magic magic wasn't a reliable source of revenue back then and still i i i made it like i, I managed to do it mm -hmm. so that's this this little idea I, at the back, in the back of my head that uh, if I became a professional magic player, maybe I can become a writer and uh, mm -hmm. you never know. And uh, I want to, to give it as much as I can uh, and see where it, uh, where it takes me. Yeah. But I mean, I think just even if the MPL was still around, let's pretend that MPL is still around today. You're still a member of the MPL. Yeah. Uh, I feel like your personal life circumstances have changed too, right? As you said, you want to write you want to do other things. So it's like, even if that variable was still constant, uh, like, I, I guess there's just so many things going on at once. Cause like, it's, it's complicated yeah. of course for everybody, cause we're human and there's always like things we want to do and maybe do differently. Right. Yeah. I don't really know, uh, what would have happened, uh, for me if, uh, the MPL wasn't ending because the thing is that we were, um, told about it uh, a year before it happened. So like it's been more than a year uh, since I started uh, thinking about other stuff and what my life is going to look like after the MPL. Like I, I had time to prepare for it. And so slowly I moved to writing, but would I have moved to writing if I didn't know about that? I, I, can't, really, I can't really know. Right, right. Um, how do you feel about just the because I think this is a lifestyle that a lot of uh, former, like full-time magic pros, and you're still a magic pro, I'm not implying otherwise. Yeah. I'm just saying that like a lot of them depend on streaming and depend, and you do once a week. A lot of them used to depend on like, you know, content, of course, writing and things like that. Um, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you just will just keep 
you think you'll just keep doing? Because I understand streaming started for you probably as an MPO obligation, but you just kept it up, right? So it's just become a habit. Yeah, that's right. I started streaming uh, when the MPL began because they were offering contracts uh, for streaming as well as uh, like uh, in parallel to the MPL, uh, they offered us a certain amount of money each year to stream. And so that's how I got into it. And I found out that I enjoyed it, but uh, I enjoy it in small doses. Uh, <laughs> I can't, like, I, I couldn't do what... Uh, so it's not like 40 hours a week. You can't do that. No, like, uh, the streamer life... Uh, like I, I never really gave it uh, a go. Like I, I never tried to do 40 hours a week, but I I know that already like 10, 10 to 15 hours a week is a lot. And uh, I, I couldn't go much, I, I couldn't do much more than that. And you have to do more than that, at least initially, if you want to build a, a community and uh, an audience. Uh, so I know it, it could not be my full life. Like maybe if I really needed it, I could, but uh, it's uh, asking a lot of me. I'm, I'm not some like I'm not really. I'm not a very social person. Uh, so it was uh, like an effort to to go into the virtual world of Twitch and uh, and talk to hundreds of people at first. <laughs> and now that I have my little community, people who follow me and go um, uh, whose names I see appear on the chat every week, uh, it's easier. But um, but it's. It's an occasional thing. Like it's a, a thing I do in addition to the others, and that doesn't take me a lot of time and effort right now. And uh, I would like to keep it that way. And it's the same. Like it's the same with all kinds of content creation. Really, uh, I've also written articles, but I've never been a regular writer on a website. Uh, it's more like I want to write about something. Like there's a topic in magic that uh, I feel like I can contribute to the global discourse uh, that I have something to say. And so I'm, I'm going to say it and, uh, and publish a Google docs and, uh, let everyone, uh, read it. Uh, but yeah. I'm, I've never really tried to monetize it. Mm -hmm. It's also so different, right? Because all the people I've talked to who have a, let's just use the word obligation. Like if you're obligated to write once a week, then yeah. you have to produce something. So in a way that's maybe it's good for the discipline, the structure, but another way it's really just a job. Right. And I think it, there's always this kind of weird thing of like, is magic a job or not? And it's also because like, I assume that for you, magic is most enjoyable when you're actually playing it. So when you're writing about it or when you're forced to play it in front of hundreds or thousands of people, it's an entirely different thing. It's kind of like saying like, uh, uh, you know, James, like, you know, I, I like running, but it's like, if I have to run and have like a hundred people watch me, I'm not sure I would really enjoy that. Or if I was running only to do races, like, like you can, you have to enjoy the thing on your own terms. Right. And if it changes, then it's no longer the thing. Right. Yeah. It's a very good, uh, yeah, it's very true. And it's something I think a lot of people maybe don't appreciate like people who watch magic and uh, watch professional magic. Uh, like maybe they, they would assume that, uh, because we, because we love playing magic because it was a passion at first, um, uh, it's always easy and we're always in the mood and, uh, it's something that comes, uh, naturally. And we are just like making money appear out of something we would do anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, but as soon as you start, uh, doing it for the money and, uh, and you feel the need to, to perform, uh, it becomes something else. And, and yeah, I, I like, I, I was saying earlier that, um, 
I've been going away from magic um, with the with the MPL ending, and that's also part of it because, uh, like, as uh, as it became more and more pressing, like the, the end of the MPL, I felt like uh, I I needed to to get the most out of it before it was over, and there was this pressure uh, building and. As any competitive magic player knows, pressure is the enemy. Like you don't want to play under pressure. Uh, yeah. It's just uh, going to make things worse. Yeah, it's it's uh, what, what's the term like counterproductive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, are you interested in like different forms of uh, monetizing? Like I don't know, like commentary or I, I, there's so many different things to do. But I guess it's never the same as actually competing at the highest level, right? Yeah, I, I like like I, I like doing all sorts of stuff uh, around magic. I, I like doing commentary. I've done uh, commentary a couple of times already uh, in French. Uh, like when, when there's a big event and I'm not in it, or maybe I didn't reach uh, the final stage. Uh, usually the the French streamers who are restreaming uh, the official event uh, they they invite me for the for the last part of the tournament. So I, I'm like the maybe the local Luis Scott Vargas in a way. Uh, when, I, <laughs> okay. when I get eliminated from the tournament, I, I go to the coverage booth. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I've done it a couple of times. Also in paper, uh, in, in local stores in Paris, uh, I've done coverage of some events. And I, I like it. But when the tournament is over, you always wish you were playing. Like there's always this thing where you, you watch people play and you comment on what they do. And they, they will make mistakes because they, like everyone makes mistakes. Uh, and you'll feel like, yeah, if I was in their shoes, maybe I would have taken this, this different line. And uh, mm -hmm. and uh, the more you, you comment, the more you want to actually be there and, and play the games, at least for me. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Although it's interesting because I, I remember interviewing uh, Paulo once, uh, PV, and he was actually saying that for him, maybe his views change over the years, I don't know. But at the time, it was many years ago, he said that... Uh, doing commentary was the best for him because like he could then be in magic without having the pressure to actually perform. Now this, that might sound kind of uh, funny coming from one of the greatest players ever, but it's like, that's how he felt at the time at least, but that was before he won worlds and all this stuff that happened. So uh, I, I can totally relate to that. Like there are periods where I prefer being uh, uh, away from the table and not uh, emotionally invested in what's happening. And yeah. there are times where I, I need this uh, investment, like this rush of adrenaline. That that's also why I play Magic. So yeah. um, uh, everything in small doses, I guess, uh, and coverage, coverage too. Yeah, yeah, everything in moderation. Like, so can you can you maybe share? Uh, uh, were there particular like one or two periods of your career where you wanted to take kind of a break from from Magic, and maybe tell me about why that was, or maybe the circumstance, as it were. Um, it never lasted for long. Like I, I've been playing magic competitively, uh, for, I guess, 11 years now, like even 11 years since I played my first GP and, uh, I never, never really took a break from it. Um, like maybe right now is the time where I feel the, the least interested in what's going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. But still, uh, still, I want to play, and uh, like there, there's this event next week, and I'm going to yeah. to prepare for it. Um, but uh, I, I can't. Really... I guess that has the friendship thing to also motivate you, right? Like you'll be exactly like together. If, if there wasn't this uh, this big boot camp with friends uh, 
maybe I wouldn't even come to the tournament. I don't know. Like the tournament itself has lost a lot of its appeal uh, for me. I, I still like playing tournaments, but uh, it's more, yeah, it's more like a, a little, a small, small pleasure now that I allow myself yeah. like, a, and um, I'm not sure I, I could, like, I, I don't know if I'm going to uh, find a, the the fire again like that is <laughs> the, the, there's this world like the, the fire that uh, the the drive to to keep going and to keep winning yeah. and yeah. Uh, at time I, at times i still feel it like there are days where i wake up and uh, i'm pumped and i just want to play magic and uh, and mm -hmm. crush people and mm -hmm. um but most of the time i'm more detached from it now mm -hmm. I think sometimes you get the fire from feeling like you want to solve the puzzle, right? Because like, there'll be times when I wake up and I'm thinking like, I want to actually work on this thing about my deck or this thing about the metagame. And that will keep me interested for like a limited time, like until I figure out that, that thing out or I have my answer. And then I just kind of go back to not having the fire. So I, I don't know if you ever, if you feel this similarly, because I know that for a lot of people, like magic is also puzzle solving, right? Yeah, for for me it is, uh, for sure. But uh, if the fire is limited to that, you can only carry it for small periods of time. And uh, <laughs> uh, in my life, yeah. I've had uh, like I've had weeks and months where I was constantly burning, uh, and uh, like to to uh, keep the metaphor going. And I was um, really like I was in need of uh, of uh, a big performance or anything that would uh, uh, tell me uh, that I belong and that I am good at this. And uh, when it happens, you can step back for a while and the fire quells and, uh, and it, like it, uh, it lights up again later. But it's something like it's not always about puzzle solving um, for me, at least. Sometimes I, I just uh, uh, want... <laughs> I'm going to say something really stupid, but sometimes I, I sometimes I just want to feel like the protagonist uh, in the story, like uh, the hero. Yeah, yeah, the hero. Like th there's something uh, when when you go to a tournament and um, there are a hundred people there, or maybe less, maybe more, and uh, you know at the end there's going to be one person standing, and some days you just want this person to be you. Like it, it matters and it's stupid mm -hmm. and it's not. Uh, no, that's that's not stupid. That's honest, right? And it's not likely to happen, and you know it's not likely to happen. But, oh, you mean uh, in terms of probability? Okay. Yeah, in terms of probability, like maybe you have a 70-80% win rate against the field if you're extremely good and extremely uh, like uh, on, on the, uh, at the top of your game that day. But still, like uh, even with these percentages, uh, you're unlikely to, to be the last one sending, but you, you still know it's, there's a possibility and you, and you really want it. And since it has happened to me a couple of times now, uh, like it's not this, uh, thing that is out of reach and completely, uh, uh out of my control. Like I know, I, I know it can happen. Uh, and there are days where I need it to happen, but, um, but yeah, it's less and less the case now. <laughs> but historically, like, has that been your biggest motivation is to have that achievement or to be the hero of in a certain point in time? It has been. Um, I think it's like, it depends on how I'm feeling in my life as a whole. Um, usually it's when I'm 
down or a little depressed or um, I don't have anything else uh, that keeps me going. Like when I wanted it the most was at periods of my life where I didn't have anything else. Like I didn't know what to do with my life. And mm. uh, uh, this was the the one thing to fill the void and give it all meaning. And at these times I, I actually needed it, uh, that first place finish. And as things settled for me and, uh, and I didn't, uh, I wasn't that dependent on it. Uh, the focus has shifted and I, it, has, it has shifted in a good way. Like I, I think it's, uh, a more healthy way to look at the game to like puzzle solving, uh, to try to, um, like to have fun solving puzzles, whatever the, the end result, but, um, but I know that, uh, for me, sometimes I really needed it. And, uh, and it, it was also like the times where you actually get it, it was fulfilling. Uh, mm -hmm. it's something like, like it's uh, times in my life I can get back to, I can watch the replays of tournaments where I did well. And, uh, it makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very like selfish and, uh, self indulgent no, thing. Uh, but, uh, no, you should enjoy it. Cause there are, there are like those specific happy moments in your life that you can you can play back, right? Like you can rewind yeah. and you can, you can, you can know exactly how you felt at that time because it did feel wonderful. I have to assume at, at those yeah. times. And you, you can get these, get these feelings back when you're, when you're down and that's something to, to aim for. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of both the, the puzzle solving and, the and the actual fire. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh I mean, there's also an interesting part that from talking to your friends, like they, they said that you're also like very, uh, non-traditional in this way. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Like, because I think there's a, often this kind of almost like a stereotype of like the high level magic player, competitive player who only plays to win. And your friends have told me that you do like to win at all costs, no matter what the level. So you could be playing cube, you could be playing uh Friday night magic, uh, you, you want to win in that moment, but you also have quite a passion for, uh, sort of like the, the combination of the casual players and the competitive players, right? You, you, you do try to empathize, empathize with the casual players as well, right? Even though you may not be a casual player. So can you talk a bit about that and just like how, what, I guess maybe like just what casual magic means to you and also what having fun means to you. Okay. Yeah. So I guess uh, a good way to frame it is that there are uh, what Wizards calls uh, psychographic profiles of players uh, who want a certain thing uh, from the game. And so there is Spike, who is all about winning, and uh, there is Timmy, who wants to do the like the most uh, the biggest stuff. And most of my friends are uh, at least part Spikes. Uh, like they really want to win, and uh, it matters to them, and they they will. Uh, try to improve uh, as time goes on to win more and more. And I'm a spike myself, but not uh, a full spike. I also have other ways, like other things that uh, excite me in magic. Uh, and so I'm part Voltos. Uh, Voltos is the, the profile that uh, cares about the lore, uh, mm -hmm. the background of the game. So everything that happens between the characters and the, that reflect is ref, is reflected on the cards but uh not necessarily and uh i spent quite some time uh, reading uh wikipedia like the magic wikipedia to uh 
to uh, absorb all of this stuff because I, I'm a fantasy lover. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I read a lot of fantasy earlier. So, um, so yeah, I care about this part of the game. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I guess these are the two, the two sides of it. I'm not really, uh, anything else other than a, a spike and the Vortos, but, uh, I'm maybe not in equal parts, but, uh, there are, there are these two sides. And also uh, what you said about wanting to win at all levels, that not only the, the big tournaments, but also, uh, at the kitchen table, uh, trying to, to do my Is best. Is that fair to uh, say? I don't know if it's fair. Yeah, to say. it's t totally fair to say. And maybe it's that it's what uh, sets me apart from uh, a lot of my friends too, uh, who are less, uh, cutthroat, uh, depending on the environment. And, uh, I like to, um, yeah, I, I like to always play the same way, whether I in whether I'm in top four of worlds or uh, just with a friend uh, in a in a restaurant after a tournament. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I guess it's um, because I like my main focus has always been to play as, uh, as well as possible, find the best lines, and whether they win or not in the end is not irrelevant. But uh, I don't have control over that, so. I try not to focus on it and I am going to feel good about the tournament after it finishes, if I have done everything in my power, whether I end up winning or not. And usually when, when I don't win, like when I go on losing streaks, it's because I have done something, uh, at some point, uh, to deserve it. Uh, mm. uh, because w when you like, I, I think people don't realize the, le the level of control you have over the games. It's not absolute, but like if you picture the best magic player, uh, there could be like, not the best player ever, but the best theoretical magic player, uh, I think people underestimate the win rate this player would have, uh, like in most tournaments, I think you can, you can aim at something like 80, 85% win rates that are completely uh, ridiculous to everyone uh, listening, I guess, because the the all-time best professional players have uh, lifetime win rates of 65, 70% at most, like PV might be 70, uh, but no one is above that. And I think you can go a lot higher than that, but it's very hard because uh, you would need to be at the top of, the, of your game all the time, and you would need to prepare like very intensively and like no, no one is that good, uh, um, for long periods of time. Uh, but that's something you can, you can strive for. And, uh, yeah, and I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you can, um, like there's, uh, this big, um, self-improvement axis, uh, in my approach to the game where I just try to be the best version of myself as a player all the time. And it doesn't matter the, like the financial stakes or whatever don't really matter to me, uh, mm -hmm. when I'm playing a tournament, like that, that a nice bonus that comes in the end, but, uh, I, I feel a lot better about playing, uh, a nice game of magic, uh, where I did everything I was supposed to do. So have you been in the zone in the past where you did feel like you were, you were at that 80% win rate, like you were basically going as perfectly as possible? Sure. Uh, 
Yes, I, I guess we talked about the fire, so we can talk about the zone now. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> different metaphors, but close, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I've been in that space where uh, it um, it flows. Like I, I, I'm playing and uh, things come easily and the like what's behind it is that you've put you've put in the hours before that and so you you have all the like everything is automatic you you know how to approach every situation because you you've encountered before uh you've encountered encountered this situation before in the past uh where you were testing and so it's a very very good feeling where you yeah you, you feel you you feel in control and you're not in control of everything. You don't know what, what your opponent's going to draw, what you're going to draw, but you have a plan for everything and you know how things are going to play out uh, depending on uh, what cards people draw. And when when you're in that space, in, in that zone, yeah, I think you can you can get these win rates, but uh, it has happened to me a couple of times. It's not, like, it's not something... Uh, uh, you can take for granted at any point, unfortunately, because you also need to be, um, like your, your life needs to be in a certain, uh, state of, uh, uh calm and, uh, you, you need to feel good about your life, not, not just about, uh, the game at this point, uh, if you know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you, you want to be free from, uh, everything that could happen, uh, like every bad relationship or whatever. Uh, you mean like uh, your life has to be going very well at the same time or you, you, you cannot have any worries or something like that? Yeah, because all the worries you have are going to be reflected in some way in your game, like not necessarily, but uh, it's, going, it's going to be something more you have to uh, put aside. And uh, the, the, more, the more things that happen to you, the harder it gets to to be fully in the game at that moment and uh, and go as far as you as, as far as we can, because magic is a like it's just a very deep game and uh, when you're in the zone sometimes you you think about stuff you you wouldn't think about uh, otherwise and uh, there's this. Uh, yeah, I guess there's this magic to it where you you can't really replicate it. Like you you don't really know where it comes from. Like why you're so good that day, but uh, but usually it comes from uh, like being uh, very very in control of uh, everything that's happening, both in magic and in your life. Do you try to chase the zone? Like, have you ever gone back and and looked at periods where you felt like you were in that? zone and try to recreate it yeah i did and it's uh, a big motivation like it's also why i'm running uh in the morning uh, mm. okay. uh, at boot camps why i meditate uh, why i do all that it's uh it's an endless pursuit to to be in the zone uh, at one point in time and uh and you have to do it all again the, the next time it's not going to it's not going to, to come back to you uh, if you don't uh, if you don't chase it yeah if you like so it sounds similar to athletics, right? I think some athletes, they will say like, you know, because I did this routine, then I can maybe get back to the zone or they remember that one moment or that one game they played very well. And uh, maybe there's mm. some commonalities because it's, it's all mental, it sounds like. 
Sure, like there's a mental side to every discipline, like even the the most physical ones, you also need to be at the top mentally. And uh, mm -hmm. I think magic has that in common with, uh, yeah, with uh, other athletics. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the funny part is that maybe the first time I experienced that, or the first time I remember at least, was at a point in my life where I didn't really chase it. Like you don't want, like you, you need to chase it for it to happen, but you don't want to be all in on it because as I said, you also need your life to go well at that time. And if you're uh, only playing magic all the time, uh, usually it's going to hurt you in some way. Yeah. Um, so you, you want to have some detachment. Yes. It's a very hard thing to grasp because you want to be both detached and, uh, no, no, I, and I, I understand. Um, I, I call that the paradox of magic. It's like you actually do well better in some pursuit when your life is not all about it, which is the irony, right? Um, yeah. I feel it's similar in magic. It's similar in romance. Like sometimes when you're uh, courting somebody, like if you're trying too hard, like it actually doesn't happen and sometimes if you just let it happen it actually happens or at least that's how i feel like meeting my wife and <laughs> yeah. what happened and things like that um you, you know maybe this is a maybe it's a terrible analogy but uh i think the uni i don't know if, if you believe in the universe or like things coming together like sometimes trying too hard is just going to uh sabotage yourself from getting what you wanted so. yeah i think it makes perfect sense and uh the, the way i look at it or have looked at it in the past is uh you're trying to shoot uh, an arrow at a target. And if you want the arrow to reach the target, you have to aim a little uh, on the side. Like you don't want to aim at the center of the target, but just a little off. And uh, <laughs> if you do that, if you manage to do that, you're, you're yeah. going to reach the target. But uh, the, the natural instinct is to aim at the target. And uh, yeah. so it's, uh, yeah. it's a different, difficult thing to to find yeah just make sure the 15th card in your sideboard is suboptimal and then you'll win the, the tournament <laughs> right just kidding yeah that's exactly <laughs> what i'm saying <laughs> um so were you in the zone when you won two pptqs in a row because i i think you told your friend that you had broken pptqs at that time right <laughs> yeah there was a time where i i just couldn't be stopped at the at the pptq level um but uh also, at that time, I, I think I had a, quite an inflated opinion of myself. Uh, so, um, <laughs> like big fish in a small pond kind of thing, where you're oh, okay. very like you're much better than you, everyone else at uh, a certain level. But uh, since you only play at that level, you don't realize how bad you are uh, in the <laughs> in an absolute sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, at some point, I, I was playing. PPTQs every season and I was winning the first one or second one I played every season and so I felt great and then I started playing PTs and uh, <laughs> I realized I had a, a lot more to go yeah 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 uh I, I want to switch gears uh, slightly uh can you talk about GP Warsaw I know this is the this is the this is the Grand Prix in 2017 that you a standard event you actually won right yeah and uh I I don't want to generalize, but I feel like in a lot of ways that kind of puts you on the map, as it were, because then it mm -hmm. led to a lot of uh, success within the next year. So, uh, and also your friend said you should ask uh, Jean Emmanuel about GP Warsaw. So, like, uh, can you can you share maybe what it was like to to play in that tournament? What it was like to be to be you back then? 
that's uh, that's nice of them to suggest uh, because Warsaw was probably the best uh, the best day in my life. Like if I have to Wait, point. So out, you were in the zone, right? Just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. So okay. the, if I had to if I had to point out one tournament where I felt the greatest and the like uh, the happiest, uh, it would be Warsaw. Because like to like to set the the stage for it, um, the week before I played my second PT, uh, the week before Warsaw, and it was a PT that I had uh, uh, awaited for two to three years. Like two to three years happened be be between my first PT and my second one, where I was uh, like endlessly trying to requalify without uh, managing to do it, and so I went to this PT with very high expectations. And I completely blew it. Uh, I went 06. It was a PT Ixalan. Okay. So a really bad experience. I, I had a, a very good testing team, like the, the best French players at, at the time uh, who had taken me in. And uh, I felt really good about the tournament. And uh, boom, uh, 06. And it was a combination of a lot of things, like uh, expectations that were too high. Uh, I was too desperate for it. And so I couldn't find the balance. And when it started going wrong, I... Uh, I misplayed more and more and uh, everything I described earlier. Mm -hmm. And flash forward one week, uh, there's this GP in Europe in the same format as the, as the PT. And I decided to go like mostly to enjoy myself. I played a different deck. I, I played a deck that uh, suited my play style more, which was a uh, team. Oh, so there was like, no uh, rotation yet. So it was the exact same meta yeah, standard. Exact, exact same format. And I had played mono red at the PT, which really wasn't my style at all, but uh, the team was playing this. And so I trusted them and played the, the team deck, but mm -hmm. I, I wasn't really having fun with it. And I think that's a big part of it. And so um, I decided to play uh, a mid range deck that uh, I liked more at the tournament in Warsaw and uh, everything happened like, like a dream. Like I started uh, winning and winning. Uh, at the end of day one, I was six and two. So I, I already had two losses. Uh, I had no losses to give, but I felt great about how I had played these games. Like I had no regrets. Uh, oh, okay. So it didn't really affect me. So the me. things that you could control, you felt like you controlled them well. Yeah, going forward, uh, it didn't really affect me. And on day two, I didn't lose a match and, uh, in top eight either and uh, and so I, I ended up winning that event uh, which was really like both unexpected and really validating after the uh, counter performance of uh, the previous week do you think that you needed to fail the way that you did in the pt to actually have done what you did in the grand prix yes uh, it feels weird to put it that way but i, I think so and uh, it's not like it's not some spiritual thing. At I I don't see it that way. At least like not uh, it's not the universe balancing itself or whatever. But sure. it's just uh, psychologically. Uh, I think I I was in the best uh, mind mindset I, I could be for Warsaw because my expectations had been set to zero uh, by the previous week, and so everything I like every win was a bonus, like nothing, nothing was deserved or earned, or mm. at least I didn't feel that way at the time. Uh, every win was just, uh, something nice, uh, falling on me. Yeah. And so I, I, I was just focused on making the best place possible and it kept falling. And, uh, in the end, uh, I, I won the tournament. That, that, that's great. And can you describe maybe how, 
that might have carried over into the PT? Because I know that uh, right the, the right after, because I think Warsaw was in November, right? Or November yes. or December? And so in November. 2018, you end up uh, finishing sevens with Traverse Shadow in the modern draft, uh, I think, PT Bilbao, right? Rivals of exactly. Ixalan. So uh, how did exactly. that, did the, did the Warsaw momentum carry into um, the, the Pro Tour? Because it seemed like you rebounded quite well, if I may say. In a way, yes, because it, it, it was like, like I, I had been trying so hard for so long, and then uh, suddenly I, I, like I, I happened to find the, the recipe for success. Uh, yeah. Like I, after Warsaw, I analyzed what, what had happened, and I told myself the same thing I, I just told you, which is uh, that, uh, like psychologically, it was the the best thing that could happen to me, and I needed to be in that mindset where nothing was uh, a guarantee, like everything was just uh, happening as it happened, and uh, I needed like, to take have nothing fun for granted, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I had to have fun playing the games, and if I had fun playing the games, uh, I would win more. But uh, I didn't. Like I didn't want to re to aim at the target, which was winning more. I wanted to aim a little on the side. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to aim at uh, having fun, and uh, yeah. that would lead me to win more. So mm -hmm. that's what I did for a year, like and more. Like uh, that's what I've been trying to do uh, since then, since Warsaw. I never never stopped trying, and mm -hmm. it has been sometimes easy, sometimes very hard, depending on also other circumstances uh, in my life and. Uh, like the, the more desperate you are, the more desperate you are for success, uh, the harder it's going to be uh, uh, to to find that mindset. Um, but yeah, I've been trying ever since. That sounds very stressful, actually, because uh, I, I'm not going to try to compare myself to you because obviously I'm, yeah. I'm not a never been at that kind of high level, never played a PT. Uh, I have uh, just full disclosure, I've never even day two to GP, so we're not on the same like. If you are LeBron James, I'm the guy who just learned how to dribble the basketball. So I'm not trying to make a comparison, but I'm just saying that, like, as a Magic player in general, I, I, I know the feeling of, like, when you want it too badly, it's a weird balance because, like, you have to want it, but you can't want it too much. And then sometimes it's, like, the difference is, like, maybe, like, I don't even know how to quantify it. Like, maybe it's, like, you want it 51% or you want it 53%, and that, like, really screws up, like, how you how you process it. And yeah, I, I've certainly been there as well. It's like, and then if you, if you don't want it at all, if you're like too detached, then why are you even playing magic? So it's, it's a really weird uh, mental balance, I think. Yeah. That, that, that's a, tr a threshold you don't want to, to cross. <laughs> like if you, if you go too far in your emotional investment in the game, you're going to fail, but yeah. you have to get as close as this threshold as possible. Um, and that's what makes it, Difficult for sure. Um, yeah. Just, just to, um, I mean, not not to always dwell on the negative part, but like when you when you had that very crushing finish at uh, at the PT uh, that you played before Warsaw, were you did you ever consider like uh, leaving Magic or like taking a long break or something? Because like, I imagine it just must have been devastating at the time. Yeah, because. The the year we're talking about, like the 2018, 20, uh, 2017, 2018 year, um, was uh, the year I requalified for the PT, and also the year I decided to to go all in on Magic. 
that it was before the PT, like uh, a couple of months before uh, the story we are discussing. Uh, I I made a, a choice to give this whole year to magic and see how far I could go. Mm -hmm. And if it didn't work, go back to something else, maybe mm -hmm. uh, like just focus on my studies um, for the years after that. And I I didn't really set a specific goal. Like I, I didn't tell myself I want to be platinum at the end of the year or I want to be silver or anything like these were the previous uh, pro statuses at, at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I just wanted, as an experiment, I just wanted to see how far I could go that year. And obviously, like when a couple of months after making that decision, you go 06 at the PT, you have to question everything. And uh, yeah. you're like, yeah, it's actually not for me. But th the good thing is that I had given myself a full year. Right. So I, I told myself, well, that's only one event maybe it will change. Like maybe you will find something, it will rebound. You don't know that. So, uh, take the time to like, give yourself the time, uh, mm -hmm. to, to see what happens. And uh, at the end of the year, you can, uh, you can reflect on it and, um, maybe, yeah, maybe if I had not given myself that much time, I would have stopped earlier, uh, mm -hmm. because it was really discouraging, but, uh, I have, like I, I've had these moments of uh, discouragement uh, at a couple of times in my career. And every time it happens, it's easier because you know, it doesn't define you. Mm -hmm. like, you know, you can find success uh, anyway. And uh, some days are good and some days are bad. And you, you don't need to let the present, the, the present day define you. Uh, there will be other tournaments. There, there have been other tournaments that define yeah. you just as much. I think that's is a great, that's a great lesson, right? It's like, um, I feel like what you said about giving yourself a, a timeline or like not just one event, but like a time period, like one year, like whatever you're doing now, you should also think about that. Maybe you can also consider thinking of it that way. Like if you're writing a novel, right? Like give yourself X amount of months or years to do it. Like, don't just be like, focus on the one milestone, right? Uh, you know, like I submit the novel, like by, I don't know, uh, summer of next year, like you should just focus on like some sort of like, I guess, I guess this is just a really long way to say, like, you have to figure out how to not be too hard on yourself and not be crushed by, by something that unexpected that happens that may, may be negative, but it sounds yeah. like you're like mentally tough enough to be able to deal with that. Cause you've dealt with it in the past. And also you have to like, part of it is that you have to trust the process. Uh, like at the time, the process was just testing. Uh, it was uh, preparing in the best way you could. And, uh, we had, like, we had thought about it, like the best way to prepare. And the idea was that maybe the results wouldn't come, uh, immediately, but, uh, if we refine the process enough and, uh, find the best way to prepare for tournaments and, uh, the best way to improve, like at some point it's going to have, uh, uh, effects on, on your performances. And, uh, like maybe you can't expect it to come right now, but, uh, it's going to come and you have, you have to have faith in that. You have to trust the process. And I, I think it's the same for a lot of, uh, a lot of things in life, but it's hard because life keeps get, keeps, uh, giving you deadlines. Like, uh, you 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 don't live in uh you, you don't live outside of time you have to to do stuff in uh in certain windows and uh, other people are pressuring you and uh yeah like it's just uh the world uh um 
making you making you go faster so if you, you have to you have to find your own space like you have to detach yourself from um what uh what the world what the world tells you to do and have your own in a way your own timeline your your mm-hmm. own mental timeline mm-hmm. for how things are going what about when the world was NPL for you? Because I know you, you did all the seasons of NPL, right? Um, was that a lot of pressure and stress for you at the time to, to be in that world? At first, it wasn't. I was just um, trying to do my best. And uh, I didn't really focus on the... I didn't focus that much on the accolades and everything around it. Um, whether it was the MPL or Platinum or, or whatever, it was just like the new system I had to play in. And uh, at the end of the day, it was just magic and uh, we were just playing the same game. And as time went on, like I started to feel the pressure because for the first time in my life, uh, not for the first time in my life, but uh, this time the people around me were all extremely good. And I wasn't the best of the bunch, like far from it when it started. Um, and, um, and so I was trying to stay afloat and, uh, requalify, uh, from year to year. And it was never a given that I would, um, even if I tried my best, because we, we were talking like best in the world, uh, kind of thing, but, um, yeah, I, I realized that I uh, could, that, that that it was possible to be, to to still to to keep performing at, at even at that level, and so um, yeah, I, I don't really know uh, how to answer that question. I, I guess there there were times where it was easy and times where it was hard, and uh, mm-hmm. it didn't follow a linear path. Like my, that's, that's life, right? It's never just yeah, a linear, like you feel exactly. different things depending on what, what week or what day or what month it is. Yeah. The, I, I can, like, I can recall distinctly, uh, how it was for me at the beginning of the MPL. I was just, uh, overwhelmed with, uh, joy and excitement. And, yeah. uh, I, I played the, like I played the world magic cup at that time, the, the team world magic cup. And that's mm-hmm. the event, uh, that France won. And, uh, that was just after the announcement of the MPL and, uh, like at that time I was still really in the zone and, uh, that was another mm-hmm. event where I, I felt, uh, unstoppable, like, uh, irrationally unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after that, there were times where it was much harder when we start, when we started playing, uh, the league weekends and, uh, every one of my opponent was a world-class player. This was mm-hmm. a really hard thing, uh, for me because like usually in a tournament, there are matches that that feel like uh, a reprieve like against people who are not that yeah. good and uh, maybe not at the top of their game right now and so you you have matches that uh, uh pump your confidence again after a loss yeah 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 you get a you and, get a uh, shot of confidence like because you'll have those those certain yeah i understand yeah yeah and in the MPL weekends, there wasn't anything like that. Like every match was just as hard as, as the previous one. And so when you started losing, you, you were never sure you, you were going to stop losing at some point. Yeah. And, uh, I remember some, some other people had a very horrendous weekends at some points, like going 0 and 11 or 0 and 12. And I think the structure, uh, is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just having to face, a, a great player every round and not being able to quit because every match matters. 
Uh, th that was quite stressful. Yeah. But um, yeah. but yeah, after that, like, uh, life went on, and uh, in the end of the MPL, I felt very little pressure because I knew I wasn't playing to requalify for next year; that it was going to be over at some point, and so yeah, th there were phases that way. I guess looking back on it. It, it does make you feel good looking back on it, the fact that you're able to requalify every season. That means you, from a results, purely results perspective, you had done it. But in the moment, it just felt like super stressful, right? It just felt like every every week, like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Like just, just, just a constant need to perform. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, in retrospect, I feel really good about it, obviously, having, uh, having been in all the MPL seasons. Uh, and... I hope Magic is going to keep thriving, uh, even at a, at a competitive level. Like I hope these tournaments are going to keep going and, uh, with new champions, like new generations of players who are going to find success, uh, the same way I did. And it's already starting to happen. Like with, with Nathan Stoyer winning the world championships, uh, recently, like you, you can feel these young, these young players, uh, who are better than we are and taking, uh, taking back where we, where we left it. Um, but yeah, at least there's this satisfaction that at some point in Magic's development, I was one of the best and that's something no one can take away from me. And like, it's among the things that I can reflect back, uh, back on and, uh, and feel good about. Yeah. So, um, you, you had mentioned the team, the team world cup, like I know you were the captain. So what was that experience like? Uh, it was uh, very different from everything I had experienced previously. I'm not really a team player uh, in general. Like I, I don't like the idea that my results uh, are impacted by other people's performances because that's another layer of things I can't control. And uh, oh, I see. You mean like preparing as a team is fine, but actually having a tournament where like it's team results is different. Yeah, yeah. Team preparation is uh, is good and and all. Like it's not very different to prepare for a team tournament than for an in individual tournament, because in both cases, you are uh, trying to raise your level as a group and not mm -hmm. as an individual. But as soon as the tournament starts, usually you go into that mode where uh, only your results, like not only your results matter, obviously you're happy if your friends perform and, uh, but, um, but you, your man, your mindset changes and it's not uh, about raising your level as a group, but uh, about uh, doing as well as possible as an individual. So, uh, a team tournament shifts that perspective because you still have to think about everything that's happening around you and, uh, that you maybe can't, uh, can't do much about, but you have to accept it. Uh, so for me, it has always been quite hard and I don't really enjoy this experience, but at the world magic cup, it was different because we just kept winning. So I guess that was never really the downside of uh, looking around and seeing that your that both your teammates had lost like, a, <laughs> uh, so I, I guess this was quite a, a fortunate experience, uh, that, uh, maybe I wouldn't have in another team tournament. Uh, even if the world magic cup came back at some point, maybe I wouldn't feel that good about it. But, uh, but yeah, this specific tournament was great because, uh, every time I looked around, my teammates has, had won or one of them had won. And so, uh, everything was, uh, was easy. Very smooth. Yeah. 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 Tell me about the NKM Paris dream crusher story. 
Like, your friend told me to ask you about this. Like, what is this about? Like, whose dream did you crush or did someone crush your dream? Uh, it was me who crushed uh, someone's dreams and it was painful because uh, I really like this person. So um, there was a weekend where uh, Magic Card Market was organizing two events in Paris on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And both events qualified for the PT, but it was a PT I was already qualified for. So I, I went to these events just to like have fun playing Magic and also to prepare for future events. And my assumption going in was that if I won the event, uh, the invites would pass down as pass they down, usually yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, it would go to the second place finisher and I wouldn't steal someone's invite. It would be, it would be reshuffled into the system. Mm -hmm. Um, in one way or the other, like maybe the second, the, the finalist wouldn't have it, but, uh, someone else down the line, down the line would, uh, with the points system, I didn't really know how it would work. And so I, I was playing these events and, um, it turns out I, I made the finals of the, the first one, the, the Saturday event, which was a uh, standard and in the finals, I was playing against a friend who had wanted to qualify for a while. And so I was eagerly awaiting like during uh, his semifinal uh, to know if he had won, because I assumed like if, we, if he had won, you would get the invite and uh, mm -hmm. we would play the finals for fun, but uh, there wouldn't be any big stakes mm -hmm. uh, for any of us. And turned out uh, MKM didn't have this sort of deal with Wizards. Uh, the invite was just for the first place finisher. And uh, oh, okay. they didn't plan anything other than that, which was a shame. And uh, like I, I wrote a little article about it, uh, like to advocate for invites passing down automatically because I felt it was quite unfair. Right. But um, but so I, I ended up playing the finals against my friend who was devastated to need to win against me when he thought he already had the invite, mm -hmm. and uh, and I ended up beating him. And it was all the harder that. Um, like I knew I, in a way I didn't want to win that match. And that was a very like unique experience for me because I, I'm a spike and I always want to win every match. Yeah, you don't want to deliberately lose a match, right? You're playing yeah, the best so you can. I, I played this one to the best of my ability, but at the same time, there were points in the game where I knew I could make a suboptimal decision and no one would notice it. And it would <laughs> give my friends a chance to win. My friend, and keep your reputation, right? It's like someone, you don't want someone to look at it and be like, why did he make a suboptimal play? Or maybe yeah, yourself. But, like yeah. th this was very subtle stuff. Like uh, I, I was playing uh, Timur Reclamation against the Teferi deck. And so there was this point where I scry uh, and I see a Reclamation on top of my library. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's the best card of my deck. So if mm -hmm. everything goes well, I can slam it and win the game uh, right. a couple of times after. But since it's a Teferi matchup and I don't have the answer to Teferi, and Teferi is uh, like hosing my reclamations, uh, I'm supposed to bottom it and uh, try to find an answer first. Mm -hmm. And so I really had the temptation to keep it on top and uh, like leave the result to fate. And uh, if, they ha if he has a Teferi, he wins the game and uh, I'm happy for him. And if he doesn't, I win. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I knew the best play was to bottom it. And so I, I, en I ended up bottoming it, but uh, I had these thoughts uh, Mm. like crossing my mind uh, every time a close decision um, presented itself. Yeah. And so in, in the end, I won that match. So uh, I dream crushed him. And the day after, there's this other tournament in Limited this time. And maybe I shouldn't have gone. I don't know because I knew at this point the invite wouldn't pass down. But uh, 
it was also very unlikely to happen twice. You know, like yeah, you, you wanted don't to win. play, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, you don't win two, two tournaments in a row. Like th this sort of thing doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just wanted to play play the tournament. It was limited, and I love limited. Mm -hmm. And I ended up uh, top eighting that event too, and facing another friend in the finals, <laughs> and winning again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I had I had this awful experience twice what are in the weekend. Odds? Yeah. Yeah, without the odds, right? Um, so. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's uh, both um, a quite a happy weekend because uh, I, I can recall like having won two tournaments in a row, and my friends are not angry at me about it uh, right. right now. Like, and even even then, they weren't angry. They were just uh, angry at the system, uh, mm -hmm. not at me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, very very happy and very sad feeling at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so. Um, I know this is a bit tangential, but it's like that's. It's like as a magic player or someone who plays tournaments of any level, you always hear about these like, I'll call them edge cases. Like, there's always things that end up being like not happy for everybody. <laughs> like, you know, whether it's like you know you have to negotiate a split or like something happened. Yeah. It's like the whole structure just feels like it really should have been like revolutionized like in some way like like there's just so many things like even the idea of like you know can you intentionally draw and like there's there's just like there's a you know you know you know better than i do there's like a hundred sure. things that you could you could change in in magic organized play and it's just it's just it's just like unfortunate i guess sometimes that it just happens these edge cases or maybe the edge cases are because of like um bias we always remember the edge cases even though we know that like 99 percent of the time is fine but there's still that one percent that really really bothers me whenever i hear about it happening to somebody you know what i mean yeah i think it's just very hard to design a system that completely eliminates these edge these edge cases and so there there will be at some points uh it's it's about the incentives right like it's about your incentives not really aligning with uh what you want to happen uh, but the incentive is there, like you're incentivized to win your match. And, uh, what happens because of that is, uh, uh, an unfortunate consequence, but you're still trying to win your match, uh, or you're trying to win the tournament. And if, if, uh, an intentional draw is allowed and the best way to win the tournament, you're going to do it, even if you don't like it. Um, and personally, I really dislike the intentional draws. So that's something I... I liked about the MPL was uh, not being allowed to intentionally draw any match. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it relieved a lot of the pressure of having to make these decisions and maybe dream crush someone who was trying to access to, to the top eight uh, by playing a match. Um, yeah, I, I think the system should be uh, thought in a way that removes the, the biggest amount of like bad incentives that, mm -hmm. uh, like I, I've never had to design such a system, and I know it's really hard. So I don't blame, uh, I don't really blame Wizards for for this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Like at least long term, and I, I know these things are going to happen, and we can mitigate them as much as possible. But uh, like there are going to be people who are exploiting flaws in the system because there are, there are going to be flaws, and uh, all you can do is uh, like learn from it and uh, try to refine it even further. Yeah. Having said that, what's your view on the the open deck list or not? Like, or is it is it? Do you have a uniform answer, a stance, or is it dependent on the structure of the tournament? 
I have a uniform stance, and uh, it's that open deck lists are awesome, and I want to play every match of Magic in my life with open deck lists. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, I, I just think they, they really add uh, depth to the game. Like, it's much more interesting for me, at least, to play a match with open deck lists, because I, I can go much deeper in how I play around cards, depending on if it's a one-off, if it's a three-off. And um, even beyond um, individual cards, the fact that you know everything in your opponent's deck list lets you devise a strategy uh, for the whole game, uh, which is something you can't, really, you can't necessarily do in closed deck lists because there that, that can always be this, uh, this one-off you didn't expect. Uh, so you have mm. to play your deck the way it's intended to be played and you can't really go away from that too much. Mm -hmm. Whereas when there are open deck lists, sometimes you find out your opponent's deck has a particular flow uh, that not all decks uh, of this archetype have uh, and you can really go all in, like really hammer on that flow. Uh, like maybe it's a limited deck uh, that has very good rares but nothing... Um, aside from its rares, like uh, it's really about two rares. And so you can devise your whole plan about beating around beating these two rares. And if you do, uh, you, you will beat the rest of the deck without effort. And uh, if, if it had been closed deck list, you wouldn't have known that. And so one of the rares would have showed up uh, and caught you off guard and uh, you would have just lost on it, which is the, like the usual limited experience, uh, like most people, uh, perceive it, uh, that it's all about rares and uh, some cards are just most better, much better than the rest. And it's not like, it's not entirely true, but there, there's some truth to it. Mm -hmm. And in open deck list, uh, this effect is greatly reduced. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's just a, a positive for the game and, uh, the, the downsides that people see about, uh, like not being able to bring, uh, um, offbeat decks to surprise people. I think this is really, like, this is not really true. Like, I, I, I've been playing weird decks uh, for the Or it's overstated. Years. The impact is overstated, right? Yeah, the impact is overstated, exactly. Like, I've been playing weird decks at big events with open deck lists, and it hasn't really hurt me in any way. Like, people still need to adjust to what you're doing. And mm -hmm. even if they know in advance uh, what your deck is going to do, like, if they didn't account for it in deck building, uh, there's some level of control that they don't have. Uh, and also as, um, like as a, as a deck builder, you have to, you have to think about it and you can't just rely on the surprise factor, right? which is like the surprise factor is always a little unfair because that's a little bit like praying, right? You're just praying that like, they don't, yeah, exactly. It, but that's not a, that's not really, uh, maybe it's about the principles of winning, but I just, I, I feel similarly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also this thing that um, if you play round one of a tournament in closed deck list with a weird deck, your opponent is not going to know what to expect. So maybe you will beat, uh, beat them because of that. And then the further you go into the tournament, the more people will have seen your deck and yeah, learned about it and learned mm -hmm. how to adjust to it. And mm -hmm. when you reach the top eight, whether it's open or closed deck list, um, a good competitor with a good network, like a good scouting network, will know about your deck anyway. So this right. advantage is gone. And I'd rather uh, play in these conditions from the start right. um, than pray that uh, uh, my, my deck 
stays unnoticed and that people don't communicate enough. Like this all <laughs> seems very uh, yeah, very clandestine. Like yeah, there's exactly. also the fact that like it's not quite fair how you know if you're more well connected in a tournament, you have more scouts who can work for you. And if yeah. you're if you just went to the tournament on your own, then you have nobody to collect the data for you. So it's a way to democratize the the information as well, right? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I, I, I ha yeah. I have been on the other side of this where like I have been on big teams with good su support networks and uh, at the end of the day, you really like people don't realize how much data you can collect in a given amount of time, like in a, over a day, you can pretty much map an entire tournament of uh, several hundred people if you're organized enough, if you have your Excel sheet and uh, whatever. So. <laughs> Like, I, I, let, yeah, yeah. just publish this, this information from the start and everyone will will be uh, on equal footing. I still remember a GP I played maybe four or five years ago before COVID where it, it was a very small stakes GP. It's just a legacy GP because I, I love playing legacy. So I played those. Um, and I, I, I remember like between rounds, my friend would actually come up to me with like a sheet of paper. Like he was just toweling all the different <laughs> archetypes. So it was just like, it's amazing how much one person can do because he was really like, hey, James, do you want to yeah. see? And he, he had like... The whole room it was like scouted it was like it had to count it was just like wow it's like that's a lot of effort and i was like it, it's really funny though because like even though he told even though it's funny that he did it but it's also it's also funny that like i saw that but i didn't feel comfortable even taking a picture with my phone so i was also thinking like yeah does it really help me like i have this pie chart but it, it feels kind of like dirty to have this information that maybe someone else doesn't have but also like is it actually useful? Because like I'm gonna like I like is it really gonna help me win the next round? Just knowing the big pie chart, um, I, I think having decklist is, I guess, totally fine. But it's also interesting, right? So your stance is the same. Um, sorry, that was a huge tangent. Um, your stance is the same regardless of whether it's limited or constructed, right? Because I think I think yeah. that's they're different too, right? I mean the the formats obviously. Yeah, they are different, and I think open decklists are a bigger change in limited than in constructed because in constructed you already have a, a basic idea of what your opponent's deck is doing like you see their first lands and you already know most of the content of their deck right. so it helps less but uh i think for most people this means that limited open deck list is an aberration and it, it detracts from the experience etc whereas i think uh because it's a, a bigger improve like i think it's a bigger improvement in limited it's a bigger change, but also a bigger improvement. Like it's a, it's a good change. And, um, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I don't have much more to say about it. But, uh. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. so actually my, my last question to you is like, I, I think we can have one last question, which is where do you think your love of limited comes from? Like you're known for being primarily a, a limited uh, enthusiasts, you know, when you stream, I, I, you try to stream limited, so you do enjoy yeah. it obviously more than, uh, perhaps constructed. So where do you think that comes from? Um, I think I, ju I just love playing different decks and, uh, like I, what I love about magic is, uh, that it uh, always renews itself. Like there are always new cards and, uh, new ways to play new decks and, uh, it's never the exact same experience. And limited exacerbates that. Uh, it's uh, like it's always changing. Uh, you're going to draft a deck and play it for three rounds, and then you s start over. I just I like the idea of starting over, like not being stuck with a deck. Uh, 
in a field where it's bad. Um, because sometimes, like when you go to a constructed event, there's a lot of emphasis on your deck choice. And sometimes you will make uh, the right choice and the whole tournament is going to be easy. You're going to crush it. But after a couple of rounds, like there's no pleasure in that. Like you already know how it's going to, going to go and mm. uh, you know all the matchups and uh, mm -hmm. it's just about like flipping a coin. And uh, if you keep uh, facing the, the same good matchups, you're going to win. And uh, like maybe the games are going to be different, of course, but, uh, and you have to, you will have to do stuff inside the games, but um there's this uh, feeling but the that the biggest determination factor is like yeah, decided like right? it, it's predecided and it's at the moment you're making your this decision of what deck to submit you don't have all the information so the success you will have or the disaster you will uh, you will face like it's not uh, really mm -hmm. up to you like you're, you're hoping for the best but you you can't really yeah know. at that point you're rolling a die right effectively yeah yeah well, because like you can have, like I I, I think meta gaming is one of the um, parts of the game that I enjoy the least. Like I, I enjoy I enjoy the process of uh, thinking uh, what my opponents are going to bring, like the leveling game. But what I don't enjoy is having to make a final decision about it because in the end, like it's like you said, rolling a die. You you can't predict other people's behavior. Like everyone, especially when everyone is very good. Like maybe they will have found decks you you didn't find. Maybe you will have a a very deep understanding of the format and that will make you make a mistake because you will have gone too far uh, yeah. compared to other people. Like some, sometimes you're penalized for making, uh, uh, for understanding better, which is a, which is a weird thing. No, I, I understand like optimal plays sometimes don't get optimally rewarded or, or choices. Yeah. Like you don't want to be to, to go too far compared to the field. And uh, sometimes you do with metagaming. And so what I enjoy about limited is that, um, it's always, uh, yeah, th there are more relevant decisions, I guess. Like, so it's a bit of a normalizing have... effect where you can, you can take that part out of it. Yeah. You, you always have relevant decisions to make. Like a, a draft is a sum of a lot of different decisions. There is no one decision that, uh, uh seals your fate. Uh, okay. and I think that's what I enjoy the most. Oh, that's, that's a, that's a cool, um, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, Jean-Emmanuel, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. I, I think we went into a lot of different places. I, I hope you were okay with the whole kind of jumping around in topics. I, I had a really good time uh, chatting with you. I hope you felt the same as well. Same. It was really, yeah, we're a really good time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, I hope you can enjoy the rest of the, the day where you are now that you've hopefully had a little bit of time to, to wake up and... Uh, <laughs> I wish you all the best going forward, no matter what it is, like whether it's the novel or magic or anything else. Thank you. I appreciate it. I wish all the best to you too. Uh, I will, uh, I, I guess I'll keep listening to, to episodes of your podcast. I enjoyed the ones I, I listened to before that. So keep going. I appreciate it.